This is Dare Hallmark. Each week, I'll bring you reviews of your favorite Hallmark movies and TV shows. So grab a drink and let's see what we're getting into with this episode. Welcome to Wednesday at the Shores. Here at Dear Hallmark, my name is Dara, and every Wednesday I am bringing to you a recap of two episodes from the best series, in my opinion, on Hallmark Channel, <laughs> Chesapeake Shores. So you guys, we are on Season 3, Episodes 7 and 8. Can you believe we're going to be done Season 3 next week? This is crazy. This is great, though, because when I tell you everyone's been blowing up your girl's DMs and saying, wait till you get to season five. And that was something that we talked about during a live that I went on. I went um, live last Thursday and that was something else we talked about was Chesapeake Shores. They said, Doris, season five will have you shook. Wait till you get to season five. I can't wait to hear your recap for season five. So y'all, I am pushing through. I am pushing through. Um, we have six more weeks. <laughs> I know it's going to be a little bit. So we'll probably be in April by the time I get to season five. But that also means by that time, hopefully we'll know if there will be a season six because how and this is me just shopping you know brainstorming in the moment with you guys I'm thinking since I'll be done season five of Chesapeake Shores of the podcast earlier than season six would premiere I do want to start a review of Signed, Sealed, and Delivered because that's another show that people are just raving about and I'm trying to get in on it. So if they do come back with a season six in the summer, I know I won't be able to review Signed, Sealed, Delivered and Chesapeake Shores at the same time via podcast. So I will probably leave the podcast for Signed, Sealed, and Delivered, and then go live with Chesapeake Shores, and then we can talk about it. Like, our Thursday lives, we can talk about the Chesapeake Shores, you know? So, that could be a thing. I don't know. Let What do you guys think about that? Would you prefer, if they do have season six, to get podcast recaps or are you someone who would want video recaps of Chesapeake Shores let me know I'm gonna post that on the Instagram as well um if you're listening on Spotify there's a poll actually don't want to do that I'm not going to do that leave me a voice message let me know do you want a season six recap through the podcast or in video um, on the Instagram, or that could be something I put on the YouTube. Like I can go live on YouTube, and then you guys can chat with me on there. So that's another possibility as well. Like literally, I'm processing this out loud as we speak. I'm a, I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it to a poll. I'm going to put it to a poll. Okay, let's get into this this recap. So I'm gonna start with our brothers first because they they didn't have much. I mean, it was significant, but it didn't it, it didn't matter as much in terms of everything else that happened in these two episodes. So I'm going to start with our brothers first. 
So Kevin, um, our sister-in-law, our future sister-in-law, because I figured I, I, they're probably going to get married. I wouldn't be surprised. Sarah, she's like, so what do you think about me going to Philadelphia? He said, what? She said, yeah, she applied to a fire department job in Philly, which I was just so happy to hear that name in a Hallmark something or other. Go Philadelphia. Um, What do you feel about me going to Philadelphia? You know, moving to Philadelphia. I'll be closer to my family. Um, she That's something that she's very passionate about is her family and wanting to move closer to her family. So she posed that to him and that I could tell that that really, what's the word I want to use? It made him a little bit uneasy because Kevin now has to decide like, what is it he feels about Sarah? How sure is he of, of his feelings of her? And then what is he going to do about it? So throughout episode seven and eight, you'll see our brother Kevin kind of grapple with because Sarah does. She ends up getting the job and she's it's a definite that she's going to move. And when she tells him in season eight, I'm sorry, in episode eight, she says, yeah, I move a week from today. I'm thinking, whoa, that's really fast, especially for someone who feels the way that he does about her. He's even questioning, like, should I, you know, what if she just stays in Chesapeake Shores or what if I just move to Philly and just work in a restaurant and not even pursue paramedics or whatever? And everyone's just like, now, you know, that's not what you, (laughs) you know, you want to be a paramedic. So he's looking, maybe he'll accept a job in New York. And they got it right that New York is definitely, it takes two hours to get to New York from Philly. So they're only two hours away, but then they have to synchronize schedules and vacations and shifts and all of this. So that's what's going on in Kevin's life right now. He's about to graduate. And at this point, we're still just a teench unsure where he's going because we have a graduation ceremony for him. But because mom was upset, and we'll get into why mom was upset, as she was giving the toast to honor Kevin, she walked away. So we don't quite know exactly where Kevin's going, but I'm excited to find out where he lands, um, if it's going to be a definite for New York in episode nine. And then our little brother, Connor, because I'm in the I'm like smack dab in the middle in terms of the order of siblings, which, by the way, I want to acknowledge the Chesapeake Shores fan page, which is let me get the name right, because they corrected me. I did the birth order wrong when I mentioned it last episode. And so I want to make sure that I tell you guys the right order. So the birth order is from oldest to youngest, Abby, Kevin, Bree, Connor, and Jess. That is the birth order. So Jess is indeed the youngest. Um, and, you know, Connor is the youngest brother because there's only two there's only two guys. So. so shout out to Chesapeake Shores Home Instagram page. Um, I'll put their link in the show notes if you guys do not follow 
that page. If you are a fan of Chesapeake Shores, be sure to follow it. I told whoever runs the fan page, <laughs> I because when they DM'd me, I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. And so we started a little bit of rapport. And so I told them, I said, I, I want to follow your page. I just can't right now because I don't want there to be any season five spoilers. So <laughs> I'm just waiting until I finish season five to follow the page. And then I'm, I'm it's O'Brien over everything, you know. Okay. <laughs> Anywho. So our little brother, Connor, he's doing his thing, being a lawyer, and he has this environmental case that involves a lot of plants that I can't even begin to recite to you at this point. And guess who's his opposing counsel? Danielle. So now he has to grapple with the fact that he is going up against his ex-girlfriend and he also gets some information out of her. You know, they were having what what was perceived to be a friendly chat in the break room and he found a loophole in one of the things that she said. And so he used that against her in the, I don't know what you want to call it, when they're just meeting with each other, presenting, trying to settle, I don't know. And um, they ended up winning that case even though it wasn't presented in court but it didn't even go to court because of what Connor found so and because of that Danielle was super impressed um and her firm wants to hire Connor it's like keep your friends close and your enemies closer I feel like so they're working together on a case and Connor's just like what are we doing how's your ex like what's going on um because now I'm working with you what is going on? And that's the question that I still have <laughs> after the episode. I don't I don't know what's going to happen with the two of them. I guess I'll find out next week. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, let's get into the crux of these two episodes. Jess, Bree, Abby, and Trace are our major players within these episodes. Oh, I forgot to mention real quick, in episode seven, mom has a little plot line where she is forced to resign from her job, but she does not take the resignation and she does not resign. Um, and it is seen as kind of a chess play from the mayor to get grandma to stop trying to come to him to, to, uh, to not do the the wishing fountain. Um, So that was that. But let's get into Jess first. So Jess, um, Jess and David are living their happy little lives. I just, first of all, (laughs) David is the sweetest. I'm talking Swiss cakes. Like the dude is so sweet. It's, it's ridiculous. His sister, Alexandra, comes to visit. Um, it's a surprise. Both, neither of them knew she was coming. And she realizes, like, as she's running the company since, you know, David left to be with Jess, he turned down the offer of CEO-ship to, <laughs> for his family's company to be with Jess. So she she is now running the company and she needs help. So she comes to her brother and she says, I don't know what to do. What's going on? What Help me. And he's just supporting her and encouraging her. But Jess is wanting to make sure it's not a backhanded attempt of his parents to try to bring him back to the family business. And so they they reassure each other that, nope, it's not a backhanded attempt. 
and he proceeds to encourage her, affirm her, and help her run the company. They get closer together, and then she goes along her merry way. And in episode eight, Jess and David, the end. There's a termite infestation, yeah? And now Jess has to close the inn. That was such an emotional scene to see because we, if we remember from season one, Jess is like, I'm going to make something of myself. Nobody's going to talk about me that I can't do anything, that I'm not doing anything. So she, that I, and I can do this by myself. So she opens this B&B. It's running. It's thriving. She gets rave reviews. She's showing everybody that she can, she can do something. And now that there's a termite infestation and they actually have to like close the end, it has to be, do I want to use the words condemned? I don't know, but it needs to be burned. <laughs> um, she is devastated and her dad is right there and she just goes into his arms and starts crying because she's like, she doesn't want to feel like a failure. She doesn't want to feel like she can't do something on her own. But her dad tells her, I mean, there's nothing you can do. It wasn't your fault that the termites were under there. And the building inspector even said it was a miracle that the the building was still standing with how much the termites got to the foundation and to the trusses of the inn, which is crazy. And I loved it because as she was just as she was bringing out all of her stuff, David's like, Jess, where are you going? She's like, I don't know. But like this, the end was so important to me. And he was like, he said, you're more important to me than the end. And she says, you don't understand how important the end is to me. I had plans for us there, how we were going to spend holidays there. I wanted to spend my first Christmas with you there. And later on in episode eight, which was so sweet, he surprised her and did and, and built a whole Christmas scene with fake snow and trees. And it was just so sweet to, as a send off for her for the end. He said, this is for you so that you can get your chance to spend Christmas with me at the end before they have to close their doors for good. So I thought that, that was very sweet. So we're going to go into episode nine with Jess wondering what's going to happen after after the end, what's, what is she going to do? What's, what's next for her and what's going to be next for David? Because he's a cook. What is, is he going to open up his own restaurant? We will see. Next is Brie. All right. So Brie is incredibly nervous to give her manuscript to her mother. She first gives it to grandmom. Grandmom reads it and says, you need to give this to your mother. And Bree says, you can't, you know, you want to do it for me? And grandma says, no, sweetie, you have to do this one on your own. So Bree gives it to mom. But how episode eight opens, we do not see, we don't physically see Bree giving mom the manuscript nor mom reading it all we know is that mom is mad and we're just like oh why has mom you know been out of shape what's going on and she says very sternly Bree, if you think this is the way I am then you don't know me at all and then she just walks off and Bree is just it's like it just knocks the wind out of her she just sits down so the the bulk of episode eight, um, Bree's storyline is her trying to make amends with her mother and really understand why her mother feels that way because Bree is just writing what she knows. Like she she 
she's writing her experience in fictional format, of course, but she's just writing from her emotional experience of what she went through through the divorce. And there's a scene in episode eight where her and mom sits down and mom tells her, you know, after I had Jess, something happened. And it's like, I just, I couldn't get out of bed. I, I just felt like I was no good to you guys. Um, and so I left and then Bree said, so you left and you got help, but you never came back. And mom couldn't say anything to that. And Bree said, like, you didn't have to leave. Um, and the mom was like, well, like, you don't know everything that went on. Um, and this is so, this is, this is mad relatable to me because, and I'll, be a little bit transparent here how I even got into writing was writing about my parents divorce and my parents they separated when I was a junior in high school and officially divorced like papers were signed and the divorce was finalized three years later um, the summer after my freshman year before sophomore year of college and it was that semester my the fall semester of my sophomore year of college, where I was tasked with a writing assignment. It was a creative nonfiction class. And the professor asked me to write about an event that happened in our lives. And up until this point, I felt like I was just boring as all get out. And a thought popped in, which I do think was inspired by God. A thought popped in to write about my parents' divorce. And at the time, I was living with my dad. And so my dad said, I called my dad and I said, Dad, is it okay if I write about the divorce for my project? And he said, that's okay. So, and I will be honest, I was closer to my dad at this point, a a little bit closer to my dad at this point than my mom, because I was still struggling with it emotionally, which leads up to the time where I actually wrote it. I remembered so vividly sitting in the library. It was the Petit Paternal Library on Penn State's main campus, State College. (laughs) I sat there and I don't remember if I hand wrote it or if I typed it on my laptop, but I wrote out my thoughts and That was the first time that I emotionally, like it was the beginning of me emotionally processing everything that happened between my family, between our parents and what that did to our dynamic. Because mind you, 2005 was when everything went down. I just completely shut down inside. I, I went numb. I went zero dark 30. It was as if nothing even happened. And which is unhealthy. I buried it in the basement of my soul, never to be seen again, until fall 2008. And so literally all of my writings from 2008 until 2011, and all of my, I took a poetry class, I took um, a creative writing class, I took an intro to fiction class, I took advanced poetry class, all of my writing classes um, were opportunities for me to process the divorce and other stuff that I went through in terms of like racial identity, um, relationships, like romantic relationships, things like that. When I tell you that writing is a powerful processing tool, believe me when I say it, writing is a powerful processing tool. 
So I relate immensely to Brie in this moment where even though, and of course we don't know exactly what Brie said or how she painted her mom, but you can't knock the experience that Brie felt when it happened. And I feel like that manuscript for Brie is a moment of her, like that was her finally processing what happened. Because even when the family is reconnected, that first episode or that first episode of the first season, when they're reconnected with mom, you can tell it just rocks everybody's world to the point where you find out a lot of people's like Connor, Jess and Brie, mainly being the three that really never processed what happened with their mother. And so I feel like Brie writing this novel was her way of processing it. And I do feel like she's the last child, in a sense, the last offspring, (laughs) that's a scientific term, the last child to really thoroughly process through what happened when everything went down with dad and mom divorcing. So that's kind of my my two cents on it. Um, and what hurt even more, like I felt it. Oh, Treat Williams, you're a treat. That acting was superb and sublime. When she gave it to her father to read, he said, I don't understand. He's told her that she can't publish it. And in fact, that's how, that's the last scene of episode eight. He says, Brie, you can't publish this. And it took me by surprise. I was like, whoa, what? She says, why? And he says, you're reopening a gaping wound that has already been healed. And he said, I don't understand why you would say something like this. Or his words exactly were, let me bring them up. He says, I don't understand you. And then he leaves the room and Bree is just sitting there in shock and looking like tears are welling up in in her eyes. And that's how episode eight ends. Yo, I am, I cannot wait to get to these last two episodes to see what that dynamic is going to look like because Kevin's going to be away. Connor's going to be doing his lawyer thing. And let's get into the oldest, our older sister, Abby. Abby is trying to compete with Wes's new fiance, Miss um, Terry Ingram, which, by the way, I thought that was so cute that they named her after the director. I thought that was beautiful. They named the character after the director. Um, she has the blog Miss Marvel. But so in episode seven, we see Abby burning herself out, burning the match at both ends, barely getting any sleep because she's trying to be superwoman because she feels like she has to compete with Terry. She's taking the girls all over the place. She's doing all these extraordinary activities with them, trying to give them five star meals. And Trace keeps telling her, like, dude, you're their mom. There's nothing or no one that can replace them. And it was so sweet because there's a scene where one of the daughters wants to get a book and Abby is telling her, you can't get this book yet. You have to wait till you're in high school to read it. And so towards the end of episode seven, Brie has the book with them as uh, all four of them. So Brie, Jess, Abby, and Alexandra, David's sister, they're walking along the beach. 
Brie hands her the book that her oldest daughter wanted to read because the oldest daughter put a a note in it. And the note was so encouraging to Abby because it read, you know, Mom, I know you said I can't get this book till I'm in high school. Um, But if you're reading this, I'm in high school now. I just want to let you know that you're the best mom. I'll love you forever and ever. And that was just a, a moment for Abby where she could, you know, like what she's doing is enough. She didn't have to overcompensate for what she felt like she was lacking. And in episode eight, we get Terry who requested Abby's services personally um, by recommendation of Wes because Ab- um, Terry has a deal on the table with a brand who wants to use her name on some cleaning products. And so, first of all, there's a scene where Abby said, now let's pretend we're friends. And you and <laughs> Terry's like, um, I thought we were. Okay. <laughs> But at at the end of season eight, Abby and Terry seems like they're going to be on the up and up. Now, the dynamic between Trace and Abby is mad strong. At this point, I feel like they're married and they just need to do the ceremony and, and swap vows and rings. But the, there's a major, a major, do I want to use the word fallout? But something major happens at Trace's club, The Bridge. So we know Trace and Mick own this this club together. Uh, Mick, who's our dad, dad is a silent investor, silent partner. And Trace is the the face. He's the operations. He's like real. he's the hands on for the club. However, they find that there has been some backwards dealings on the books and they have been swiped clean of money. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> They've been swiped clean of money and Mick's our dad, I feel weird calling dad by his first name. Uh, <laughs> Mick's point of view is that if you were here more, this, prob- this probably wouldn't have happened. Because how can we assure this won't happen again if you're, you know, on tour and you're not really here? And so now Trace is faced with an- yet another side of this touring versus staying dilemma, which is him owning and operating the club. So Mick brings in a third party firm to oversee operations and accounting and Trace is not here for it. And the guy is played by Giles Patton, who is, um, who is it? George. And it was always you. Uh, so it's cool to see him in this. Oh, also, and the, the woman who plays Alexandra, David's sister, she plays Nick's sister in The Wedding Veil Legacy, which was really cool to see that. Um, cause I had just finished this episode before watching Wedding Veil Legacy. So I'm like, oh my gosh, there she is again. But anywho, so Giles and Trace are butting heads on almost everything. While, while Giles is coming from a numbers standpoint, um, trying to bring in different different bands and doing different hours because he's saying that would be more cost effective. Trace is like, but you don't understand. People need to come here for a respite after work. If we're closed, where are they going to go? They have no place to go. And these bands are terrible. Have you actually heard their music? Do you know what's going on? So they butt heads throughout episode seven and eight. And it's in episode eight where we um, 
Well, in episode seven, where Connor looked over the contract between Trace and Mick and Connor found a vulnerability in it. And it's in episode eight where Trace, I guess he, you know, the last straw, he presents Mick with that vulnerability. I'm assuming they are about to do something in court. I think it's going to come down to a lawsuit where Trace is going to go against Mick, which is probably going to put some strain on Abby because that's her man and her father. How are you going to go between your man and your father? Um, that's that. Oof. What would y'all do? I couldn't. I, yeah, I would just have to, Ooh, I would just have to leave the chat. I don't, I, Ooh, that's, that's going to be so hard. So, so, so hard. So that is where we leave our siblings and our friends on at Chesapeake Shores as we slide and glide into the last two episodes of season three. So, Will Connor and Danielle get back with each other? What will Kevin and Sarah do with her moving to Philly? Where is Kevin going to go for to be a paramedic? What is Jess going to do now that the inn is condemned and she can't run it anymore? What is Abby going to do? Um, like what? What is what? What is Abby at this point? <laughs> and what's going to become of Bree and Mom? And dad, how is Bree's manuscript going to affect the family dynamic and what dad feels about the manuscript? And then what's going to happen between Trace and dad? Will that put another strain on the family dynamic between Abby and dad? We will see in the final two episodes of Chesapeake Shores that will be coming out next week. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Follow Dear Hallmark on Instagram and subscribe to Dear Hallmark on YouTube. I will see you at the same time next week here at the Shores on Dear Hallmark.